Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 33. We took a bit of a sabbatical last week. Uh, well, I did mainly. I went over to New Jersey for Thanksgiving and we didn't have the time to record. Uh, but, you know, magic is no longer ruined forever. There's a ton of awesome speculations that we're going to talk about on this episode. There's some insane Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals and retailers are just, you know, they're just taking my cash like crazy because this is... I would argue probably the best time to buy something like that I've ever seen if you're looking to speculate. Um, now, before I keep talking forever and drown out my other cast members, if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Douglas Johnson, uh, also known as DJ. Uh, I didn't really pay attention to Black Friday sales because I got Pokemon. Um, yeah. My name is Jim Casal. I also bought Pokemon, but I did look at Black Friday sales and I didn't buy anything for me, which was really actually like kind of disappointing now that I think about it. And uh, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B U M P I N, uh, and some other places. I'm at Zemet Sells Magic. Uh, these guys all write for MTG Price or Quiet Speculation, but they're too goddamn busy talking about Pokemon. Let's talk about, you know, actually making money. This isn't a Pokemon finance cast. We can do that another time. Uh, we have we have limited time to appease the masses with these awesome deals, especially if you're listening live. We thank those live viewers. And as always, you can tune in to youtube.com slash LengthyZemit and comment live and we'll respond. Did you now, post a link for me to uh, retweet yet? Oh, right. I should probably do that when I'm done talking. Well, whenever you're speaking, I'm just like listening for the pun. And if you go like 20 seconds and I haven't noticed one, I'm like, did I miss it? No, Was there's no pun. Cover? No, uh, no puns, just straight money. So Channel Fireball had a sale this weekend. Star City had a sale this weekend. ABU had a sale this weekend. Um, Alter Reality Games has a sale, blah, 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 blah. What's interesting to note is the numbers that these retailers offered in order to to get sales. Card Kingdom did 15% in store credit for every $100. So $15 for every $100 you spend in store credit. So if you're buying uh, old school stuff, that might work. Alter Reality Games did 25% off all singles. Wizards Tower did 25% off all singles. And Wizards Tower is Canadian, so the arbitrage was definitely there. Um, they had Chromatic Lantern at six Canadian, which is basically three dollars US. Uh, they had fetches at, I, I th they were sold out when I checked, but had you gotten them, it was like nine dollars on Pluto Deltas, which is about the point when people start salivating. Star City Games had eighty dollar boxes of Kaladesh. They had eighty three dollar boxes of Eldric Moon. They had eighty dollar boxes of Oath of the Gatewatch. They had seventy five dollar boxes of Theros. They had sixty five or seventy dollar boxes of Born of the Gods. Six favorite pick. Channel Fireball blew everyone away. Channel Fireball had sixty five dollar boxes of Gate Crash. They had sixty five dollar boxes of Dragon's Maze. Never buy that. They had $20 fat packs for Born of the Gods and Journey to Nyx. ABU Games had $80 boxes of Korean and Japanese Eldric Moon. They had $20 fat packs of Theros, of Born of the Gods. I'm just going off the top Thanks of my head. Thanks for telling everybody what they missed. That it's now. still live. You got six hours if you're listening live, guys. There's also no CK in Eldritch. CK? It's Eldritch, Eldritch. Moon, not Eldric Moon. You know he knows. You know he does that on purpose, right? Like he's he's done this for like at least six months at this point. Yeah, basically. Um, so I put my money where my mouth is. There, you know, I was always a little tongue in cheek when Magic was ruined forever. Now it's like the best time ever to buy in. I bought a ton of Gate Crash from Channel Fireball at sixty five dollars a box. I picked up a thousand dollars in Star City credit from someone um mark nestico or someone was selling a thousand dollars worth of star city's credit on twitter and i offered him 80 percent. and then i got a message from someone and they said hey i'll do 70 percent if you take mine instead and star city had kaladesh boxes at 80 dollars so like this is cheaper than what i'm paying for my distributors you're you only you pay more than 80 bucks a box from your distributor no, no, no. They were selling Kaladesh for $80 a box, and I paid 70% oh. for Star City credit. Therefore, yeah. Yeah. if you include shipping, that's about a $22 off per box. So I was quite literally paying $58 on boxes of Kaladesh. Now, 
All right, so I can get that. But what's your angle on the gate crash boxes? So we were actually explaining this before the cast. Um, right now, the estimated value of gate crash on MTG Dongler is $65. Therefore, theoretically, I should be able to quite literally break even on every box I open. MTG Stocks has the average value at around $80 to $90 right now. Um, the reason why I went big on Gatecrash, as Jim and I were discussing, Return to Ravnica was opened like crazy. Gatecrash was not as popular of a set because Boros was a little too overpowered and Orzov was second and Demir wasn't even there. A lot of the mythics in Gatecrash have upside. You have stuff like Enter the Infinite that's proven itself in Omnitel in the past. You have cards like Aurelia that's always a... Or Gisela... Gisela or Aurelia. That's it's always Aurelia. a... Yeah. That's always been a casual favorite, even with the reprinting commander. It started to go back up. You have stuff, angels. Yeah. You have stuff like Blind Obedience, where Extort's a fun mechanic. Consuming Aberration just got reprinted. That's a card I'm targeting heavily to go back up. You have Mind Grind. The other thing to keep in note is the Gatecrash Shocks are the ones that are worth more. Breeding Pool's worth more. You have cards like... Um, I just actually popped the box for fun. Stomping Ground, Sacred it's Foundry. Stomping, yeah, it's Stomping Ground, Sacred Foundry, Breeding Pool, uh, Godless Shrine, and Watery Grave. And those are all... The other reason why I'm a big fan one. of the set... Yeah, the other reason why I'm a big fan of the set, plus one, plus one counters. Atraxa has made the world go crazy. People have been making a lot of money off Atraxa. Uh, Gyre Sage has been going up a little bit because of the plus one, plus one mana thing. So that's something to keep an eye out for. And with like BioShift and other things, it's just just something to keep in mind. Um, I don't think it's Geiger either. Yep. So I'm a big fan of a lot of this. Now, Lazav did take a hit. Doug will never be able to recover. But I'm I'm a big fan of this stuff. And you can always get foil shocklands. My curve is dust metals here. What? My curve is dust metals, dust metals here. Oh. Well. I own a bunch of Lazavs. Yeah. I got nailed on those. So I, you, also, you also have Boros Charm and Uncommon. There's just so much value in this set. So I bought a bunch of boxes, and uh, I also bought $70 boxes of Dark Ascension, which seemed like, sure, why not? Like, that's something that I'll hold on to, and we'll see where that goes. I didn't pull the trigger on Korean or Japanese Eldritch Moon at $80 because, like, there's no out for those cards besides the foils. So yeah, that's what I went in on on the Cyber Monday. And if you're listening live, you can still pick this stuff up on Channel Fireball and ABU. What did did Doug pick anything up? No, I didn't buy. I didn't buy a single thing. I was away. I was away from the Magic scene until about Sunday night ish. So I didn't really touch anything Magic related. How about Jim. Uh, I didn't really buy any Magic cards. I just sold a bunch on TCG Player because of the kickbacks. I'm actually putting some orders together right now. What? Uh, how much were the total of your orders that you sold? A couple hundred dollars. Not a lot. I mean, that's pretty good for just... Yeah, for like an average weekend, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, most of it's just stuff I just don't play with and I just don't need anymore. Like Some of it I'm actually selling for less than what I paid for it. It's just... I don't want it anymore. Like I'm selling, I sold a bunch of foil fulminator mages for like thirty dollars or something like that, and I paid more than that for them when I got them. But I just the card's not very good in modern. People that play it are doing it wrong, and uh, I really don't want to have them in my uh, inventory. I'd rather just have cash monies. I um I picked up like. Two play sets of foil get rogs, and I think a couple other small odds and ends. I didn't go heavy in. Friday I was at work, and then I was on the road all night. And then again today I was really busy at work, so like the good deals I've missed. And by now, most of the inventory is gone. Um, you know, the really spicy stuff. But um, we called out some of it on Best Finance last week when we were going through it. There were some good choices I did not personally pick up, but were out there. Uh, sounds like none of us got to it quite as hard as you did, Jeremy. Well, that's also because, keep in mind for those listening, I have an out as a as a brick and mortar. So I can always flip gate crash packs for quite literally $2 a pack and make my money back. Yeah, I think that's um, worth pointing out here just to remind all of our listeners is that 
you have a store which makes so much of this so much more profitable for you. You know, we were talking before the cast that like you could pick up a card at a dollar less than TCG low. Oh, you have company. You could pick up a card at a dollar less than TCG low and I could be I could make that same purchase and it wouldn't be profitable by the time I acquired the card, listed it on TCG player, uh, sold it on paid fees, dealt with any risk of the card changing in prices, whatever. Um, but you could get that card for a dollar less than TCG low, put it in your case for like a dollar, you know, two bucks over TCG, pay no fees on it. Um, the risk is much lower since you have a store. So like depending on your out makes it so much more um, some of these opportunities much more appealing if you're Jeremy than say, you know, me or Jim. I agree. Yeah, it's just something to keep in mind. And Travis, did you write an article about what happens if your card goes up and you don't make money? Do you want to summarize that? Uh, I did. Uh, it's been quoted and cited a bunch. It was about having bought Gave back uh, after Kalia spiked. I bought a bunch of Gaves and the price like technically quadrupled but by the time i would have actually been selling copies i was making like 75 cents a copy so it wasn't even worth it to sell them uh so i just left them stashed because i was like well whatever hopefully this will turn north eventually and the price never moved on gave up until commander this this was like way back like after commander 13 price on gave never moved that much in the since then and then they just reprinted it in commander 16 so i actually Kind of got screwed on that one. Um, so yeah, I mean, even if everything goes right, you can still get nailed because of um, ta you know, shipping when you're receiving the items, uh, fees when you're selling it, shipping when you're sending it, and plus the innate risk that you know you have to factor in because for every time it goes right, all the times that it goes wrong really drags down. Like those games that I bought that I paid, I don't know, three dollars a copy for that are probably what a dollar now that they were printed in Commander 2016 nonsense the other thing is if you lose them as many people in this industry are want to do including myself like when you start getting into bigger inventories even like ten thousand cards for the inexperienced financier you're like oh where are these cards i need to list them on tcg right away like pro like ancient which like lost a third of its value in like two hours as people just scrambled to list them on tcg back in pro tour cons um so say that Travis, I know one of the big things that James was on was uh, the flip Jace Friends Prodigy, and he held on to those too long, and that card just went right down. Now, he he dumped them on for imaginary Puka points way ahead of time, but if you had held on to those too long, you would have just got him burned. Yeah, I mean, I you, the, the non-foils, everyone knew, everyone kind of talked about they were going to be dropping for a while. So, you know, if you were holding them at 30 and 40, um, the, the writing was on the walls for those. The foil, the bottom, the floor, and the foils fell out. Those were a hundred dollars plus for a long time, and then suddenly I looked and they were like fifty bucks, which is I have one that I didn't sell, which is kind of a bummer. I'm not too worried about it because I do think the card is is uh, pretty ripe to see price increases down the road. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're not if you're not quick to get rid of this stuff, you can really get burned. So uh, the importance of keeping your collection or at least your specs organized is uh, can't be overstated. Now there's something that I want to get into with Doug because I feel he has the most experience when it comes to this starting to get winter. Two of you guys are up in New York. There's a lot of snow. Um, I accidentally left a box in my trunk without a lid, opened it and rain drenched all the cards. Doug, as someone who lives in the snow, like what steps can you take to make sure that your cards don't get wrecked? Don't, don't put them in the trunk. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I, no, I've done, I've, I've done the same thing. I, the same thing happened to me uh, only once because I made that mistake. Uh, it was a box, and it wasn't anything valuable. It was like a, a 1K box of like foil bulk rares. So technically it was like $100 or whatever, but like most of the cards were fine. Um, probably like 30% of them were water damage. And it was just kind of like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done this, but like keep stuff in your back seat, uh, or just don't put things in your car. Um, is the best bet. I don't. I don't know what else you want me to add to that. It's like, it's like don't keep cards in your, the back of your trunk if you, can open your car and have a bunch of, water falling. And don't I, smoke either. Like don't oh. buy cards from smokers. I can't state that enough. You can buy cards from smokers. Just read them all as damaged. No. Um, 
Because your profits will go up in smoke either way. Like, there's no point in just... You did that before. You used that one before. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I can't reuse repeats. I also live in New York, and uh, I have never unintentionally dumped snow or water all over my cards. Um, But one thing I do want to warn against is uh, storing cards near furnaces um, or in basements. Uh, So, for instance, I have a storage space upstairs it's a really it would be a great place to put all of like the sealed product and whatnot that i'm hanging on to but it's right next to my furnace so that means that i, I am concerned about the heat um, and possibly the humidity that could get in and start damaging the product so i can't keep any of my sealed product up in that space um so you know be careful about how warm the room is or don't leave boxes of car excuse me next to heating vents um you know watch out for that and also keep them out of your basements uh, you know, flooding isn't too much of a problem during the winter, uh, but, you know, during the spring that can catch you. And I know that's something Jim is going to uh, be careful about running into, given that he's in Florida now. I don't know where in Florida he is, but they have flooding problems down there all the time, right? Yeah, it's closer to the coast. So I didn't have basements here, too. Um, but I, I should be pretty co- pretty good. I'm surprised you didn't ask me about water since it rains like literally every day in the summer. So. I have to probably deal with way more rain than anyone else. Okay, Jim, what are you doing? Uh, I mean, depends on how many cards you're moving, but I would try to keep them in a plastic container rather than a paper container when possible. Um, you know, especially with like high value cards, like if you're moving like a deck, don't put your deck in a four by or for a row box, put it in like a plastic box instead, so that if it gets rained on, it's just on it unless it like gets submerged, then you shouldn't have a problem with cards getting wet. If you're just uh looking to sort bulk or just like keep cards in a plastic case, I really like these. Uh I forget what they're called, it begins with a P, like Pongo or something. Jeremy, do you know what these are called? Like the brand that makes these? I actually refuse to use plastic cases for my cards. So I, I like sort of yeah. using these to sort my picks and like keep my picks in uh, order. But like the edges, oh, one downside of these though is that the edges can damage uh, cards sometimes. Um, if you pack them too tight or something like that, the the lid closing can chip away at the cards. So I wouldn't keep anything in here that's like super valuable. I just use it for like quarter picks and fifty cent picks. But and you know while we're talking, we actually brought in another expert, longtime guest. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, you're on a couple other casts and whatnot. Yeah, you can tag out hey, for me because I gotta leave yeah. in like ten minutes. Oh, then that's good. I tag out. <laughs> it's like a it's like a Pokemon doubles battle. Uh-oh. Hey, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, Chaz here. Uh, I I cast over at uh, MTG Goldfish and Quiet Spec. I also write for Quiet Speculation, like a few other people here. Well, I guess this DJ. No, and uh, Jim, you write for Modern Nexus. Yeah, Jim, I got you. So what's going on? I'm fashionably late. Sorry about that. <laughs> so lately, um, for those that haven't listened to uh, the Quiet Speculation podcast, which is behind a paywall until Friday, so you get it two days later on MTG Cast. Uh, you know, you guys have advocated for different things. One of you is sort of pulling what one of our cast members does and just goes hard on the reserve list. And another one is thinking about, you know, how quick can I flip these cards? So do you want to sort of explain to the listeners exactly what your strategy is when you're trying to invest and like buy stuff? Sure. Yeah. And thanks. Thanks for having me on. You guys are awesome. It's been a while since I've been on, but uh, yeah, Tarkin, uh, he, you know, we, we kind of come at this, you know, all these changes in the last year to, uh, to the, you know, the general, I guess, release, you know, the releases each year of uh, Wizards. And we kind of come away with two things is it just doesn't seem, it doesn't, it's, it's pretty risky to hold on to cards for, you know, a period of time since everything is on the table to be reprinted and now we have just so many avenues for those cards to be reprinted we have like conspiracy we have eternal masters we have modern masters we have all these little supplemental products that you know basically they can just throw in some of these these cards that you know a few years ago like we, we talking five years ago would have been brain you know no 
no problem, slam dunk, you know, hold these for a few years. They usually go up. And now you're just running into the risk of all these cards just being placed into these supplemental uh, products basically randomly. Um, and, you know, Tarkan's taken the position, well, the reserve list, while we don't, like, advocate buying out and, and purchasing all these cards just to be kind of like those kind of people, uh, you know, they don't get reprinted. I mean, that's just the end of the argument. And I can't – I have to concede the point that, you know, you look at some of these reserve list cards, you see them on stocks every day, they're going up certain percentages – like, I'm not going to sit here and argue the fact that, yeah, it's a good place to park some money if you don't want to, if you, A, you want to play with the card and you don't want to worry about, you know, getting reprinted at all. And B, I mean, if you buy them, don't end up playing them, nine times out of ten, you can turn around and, and get a considerable amount of gains on them. Um, my stance is, if you don't want to do that, you basically are stuck with, you know, buying into the now, like being living in day to day, you, you have all these releases coming out. Well, what can, what are the cards I can identify and evaluate from the new releases that, you know, this is a card that's underpriced. This is the, the smuggler's copter. This is the spell queller. This is, you know, these are the cards from each set that, you know, I sit down there, they seem undercosted in pre-orders and you capitalize on that. And you buy X amount of copies, and turns out they're they're format defining cards, and then everyone rushes to buy them. So, you know, it, it's really that that middle ground of investing is just really risky to me, and it, it's always been kind of risky. But now you're just lending yourself to be totally blown out by all of these reprints. I I'm not going to argue against the efficacy of short term specs. But I think you're missing a lot of the potential long-term specs and ignoring them just because they're not on the reserve list. Like, there are several cards, and Wizards gives us the announcement schedule almost a year in advance of, okay, these are the products we're going to be coming out with. And I still think that you can pick cards um, that can dodge 99% of those printings just by the nature of their mechanics or just by the nature of their abilities or just by the nature of uh, how tribal they are. Um, just and pick long-term specs just for two or three years, um, just based on, on how like well received the mechanics are. Like if you take a look at the Restore Balance, which is one of Travis and Mai's favorite cards, uh, it's really really hard to find a spot for a suspend card that mimics a card from like Alpha. Uh, and if you look at the printing list that's coming up in the next year, the only real spot for that is Eternal is another Eternal Masters printing, maybe two years from now. Or maybe like Modern Masters 2017, but even then that card's really awkward as hell limited. Yeah, and, and I discussed this with Tarkan actually. We you and I, DJ, had a long, uh, really good constructive um conversation via Twitter. And I, I do I do concede the point that there are definitely certain cards of that nature. So I'm gonna use, you know, a good example. You know, you look back at uh, Conspiracy, Take the Crown, right? Cards with, like, Monarch. Like, that's yeah. that's probably those are cards that probably aren't going to be reprinted, you know, conceivably for a few years. So there are definitely some good, you know, some good opportunities there um, in the mid to short term. I'm just saying, I'm just looking at, like, the overall um, kind of aspect of this, whereas a lot of this, a lot of the percentage of those cards has drastically decreased. Yes, you can look at those the cards that you mentioned. I still I, I think those are good choices. And furthermore, I think, you know, if you are gonna still be in that mid to long, you know, that midterm, I do like foils of basically everything that you were going to that you were going to pick up if it's not too much more. I mean, if obviously you're looking at a few cards and the foils are like three times as much, you know, you have to weigh the risk versus reward there. Right. One thing that I feel is um it's important to keep in mind here is that uh, a lot of the pushback against these uh, larger, a lot of the, a lot of the concern in the reprint sphere relative to the product volume is that we went from minimal product volume to uh, a high amount of supplemental product relatively quickly. Um, we could see that swing back around uh, without without much notification. You know, in twenty. 18 wizards could print two supplemental products they could print commanders and a, and a summer set and that would be it 
Um, that would be great. There's no guarantee that they're going to keep up with this schedule. Uh, they could change course really quickly, which would suddenly make all the cards coming out around now in really good shape then, because right when you would be needing those reprints, they might not be on the horizon. Now, I'm not telling you that that's what Wizards is going to do. I'm just saying that's something that can change. Basically, every six months, we find out again what Wizards is planning on doing in terms of the volume right. of product. And that's that's a good point, because 2016, 2016 is shown to just be their... Uh, their guesstimate year. They're pushing the limit, pushing the envelope, trying to figure out, okay, how much product can we put out there? And they've announced for 2017 that that's going to be a similar year of, okay, we're going to get the market data and get the um, market research for these two years and see, okay, did we over push on the amount of supplemental product? Are there things we should cut back on? Did conspiracies suck? Did uh, did the from the vault suck? And should we finally kill it now that we have eternal map? Like they're going to turn and just stop that. We're, they're going to turn and adjust knobs and dials two years from now and we could absolutely see the number of products being released cut down and at the same time this is one of the best opportunities to buy ever even if you're listening to this after cyber monday ended and you weren't able to grab 65 dollar booster boxes or 58 dollar boxes of uh kaladesh like there's so many good things to invest in right now uh you know stores aren't necessarily happy about eternal masters because that means that they may not be able to charge 15 dollars for a pack anymore but you know eternal masters is going to fall another 10 percent when all these singles get open this upcoming week because the distributors will be all the shops will be receiving the new shipment on thursday and december is also probably the best month of the year to buy collections because people need extra spending money for Christmas presents and extra spending money for travel costs. And it's just the end of the year and people don't want to be holding a bunch of money. They want to be, uh, or they don't want to be holding a bunch of magic cards. They just need money for stuff. And normally yeah. Eldritch Moon would be plateauing at this point, but we've seen it still be worth the opening. It's at $86 a box right now, value wise, you know, Liliana's still holding, obviously she'll go down in a new meta or up, but most likely down, but something else will replace that. And that could be, you know, deploy the gatewatch. Something like that. Yeah, I like the point that Travis brought up, and it's a good point. I don't, I do think that they could pull back in the reins and not like inundate us with all these products. But at the same point, you know, you kind of look at everything that they've been doing. They want to put the money back in their pocket. I mean, they don't, they don't make any money when we buy dual lands from Star City Games. Like, yes, we keep Star City Games and open, which open, which in turn, you know adds value to Magic the Gathering. But, you know, when they push out these products, ultimately what people buy goes directly back into their pocket. But yeah, I, I do agree. Like, there's so many there's so many releases. It just doesn't seem feasible for them to keep up that kind of pace. And going back to my original statement about, you know, short-term and long-term, there's no, like, 100% right or wrong way to do this. If you feel confident in your ability to of these middle you know midterm cards and you've that's how you've been doing it then by all means do it me personally i'm a little more skeptical and i'm not jumping at the bit to go do it because i feel it's just more risky but whatever really works for you at the end of the day is what you should stick to and i think doug uh dj you you know you always talk you know you write articles about bulk and all that and i wouldn't suddenly impose that you know, people don't do that if that's what they're comfortable with. Obviously, you know your stuff when it comes to bulk and, and what and what you know specific cards you you identify as being a good long term hold. Continue to do that. I'm just I you know I think Tarkin and I were really just kind of shedding light on the fact that they're kind of muddling a, a lot of what has been kind of a surefire thing or a lot easier over the last few years. And there's just a lot more risk involved. So that's that's just kind of where we came to as, as kind of shedding the light on the new landscape of, uh, you know, Wizards and, and what they're kind of, you know, they're kind of pushing us in these directions when it comes to the financial landscape. No, I agree with you overall. And I don't think that – I agree with you from the point that I don't think it's correct to speculate on just every single random – uh, EDH playable card that comes up anymore is like if it's over bulk prices. Like I don't think Dictate of Erebos continues to be a hold at three dollars now that it tripled or quadrupled from its like fifty cent price uh, because that is a card that could easily be thrown into a uh, arch enemy product because playing one v three and having a great pack with Flash is pretty cool. Um, so that's a card I'd heavily advocate selling at three dollars. 
Boundless Realms is another card they could easily throw in a Commander product. Like, all of these bulk rares that slowly crept up without a reprint and hit the 3 to $4 mark, I absolutely agree with you. Cash out of those, the increased reprint schedule for next year means that those can take a hit and go back down to bulk rares. But once those do become bulk rares, I absolutely advocate buying into them again at the 50% floor because we know what happens to those bulk rares based on their history. Yeah. I also, I mean, you brought up Eternal Masters. I got to tell you, I mean, I was looking at Star City Games sale, um, and if you haven't checked it out, you know, for Black Friday thing, it's actually pretty good. Um, I, I, I look at some of these Eternal F Masters cards, and you're actually able to buy the foils of some of these cards for the original non-foil prices before this reprint. That, that just seems wrong to me. Like, sinkhole foils at, like, 20 bucks. That doesn't seem like that seems like pretty good, and that's Star City I prices. Sinkhole was a weird card because it had almost never been reprinted. Like it got a right. Judge foil, and it was an Alpha beta, and I think unlimited, and I think that's it. Yeah, I was yep, just I was just using that as an example. I mean, just some of these foils. Um, I mean, if you're picking them up at like pre non foil prices, I think that's still even just a good deal on its own. Uh, really, I would say if these Eternal Masters prices are indicative of anything, they should be a warning to everyone who's holding legacy cards that are not reserve list. Because it turns out when your very old card with very minor demand suddenly has more copies or no demand because you're, nobody's playing legacy, the prices just go into free fall. So, <clears throat> you know, everyone who thinks their counterbalances and sensitive divining tops are bulletproof. Uh, might be a little disappointed uh, in two years. Top is bulletproof because EDH. Well, that card can easily be banned in EDH. It's also like $25. There's a lot of room for the floor to fall out on that. That card could easily be banned in EDH. Even if it's just French EDH, that card could easily see a giant tank. Sunset's Divine Top is like one of those cards that I think like lives by the skin of its teeth because it takes so long to play with that card that... Literally, to end point in time, any format that's legal in can say, you know what, enough's enough. We don't want yeah. people looking at the top three cards of the library six times in a turn, and we're going to kill this card because it doesn't matter that much. There's a, there's a very big portion of the legacy community that just does not enjoy playing with top or against top, and that would be happy to see miracles go away as a deck. So I, I can deal with it. Legacy's in a healthy place right now. And I'm I mean, saying yeah, that. that's, your, that's your opinion. And that's I'm, that's yeah, absolutely your opinion, but like. Um, I I don't think top is a good place to put money. That's that's I gotta go. Um, I'm I, yeah I gotta go now. I, uh, I to you yeah, it was, it was fun. I will be back next week. Uh, I write for QS. You can find my articles every Thursday behind the insider paywall, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I gotta go. Doug's got real life responsibilities. Luckily, we have Chaz on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of actually, you. you I mean, if you when you look at Legacy and you see two copies of Nissa Vital Force in a in a Legacy, Legacy Elves list just recently, I think uh, Legacy's doing pretty good. I mean, we're not debating. This isn't the Legacy cast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. as someone who plays a lot of Legacy and is going to the Legacy GP to get DQ'd round one, like Legacy's in a healthy place right now. So. I think you're. I think you are wrong in every way that one could consider that statement. But I guess that's not important. Why are you being DQ'd in round one? What did I miss? Uh, our car is all bringing vintage decks, just like GP New Jersey, and we are all calling judges on ourselves after we present round one. We just want the playmats. I was going to say, so is your goal to uh, incinerate your buy-in money? Well, yeah, so the perks make up for registering. So what we did, because the brainstorm sleeves and the brainstorm map were worth so much, at New Jersey is we registered and then got DQ'd on purpose and called judges on ourselves. So we're going to do the same thing at Louisville. Is there, are you not po capable of running a foul of some slightly more egregious ruling uh, by intentionally doing that? I mean, I could ask like, I know how this will be there so I can ask him before we start or Saban. So yeah, I mean, you just want to make sure that you don't accidentally uh, turn that into like a fraud or something and get yourself banned. No, I like from what has happened in the past, as long as you notify a judge that you will be like calling them before you present stuff like that. Cause it's just rude to drop. Why not make the judges fill out some paperwork before you go? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so such a scumbag. <laughs> anyway, uh, we had a bunch of viewer questions actually. Um, you know, there's one that this guy from Norway has been asking me for two months that I forgot to answer because I didn't check my Twitter DMs. Norway. Uh, he, 
He wants to know about the price trajectory of the Shadow uh, Dual Lands and whether or not those will see any gains with the rotation. Uh, I think they rotate with everything else. I don't understand. They rotate in October, right? Do they? Everything rotates in October now. It's Battle, Battle, Oath, and Shadows? Yes. Yes. They went back to the old rotation schedule where it's four sets the whole year. So it's going to be two blocks. It's going to be Battle for Syndicar block and Shadows of Renishar block leaving at the same time. All right. Well, in that case, don't pick up Shadowlands. Yeah. And honestly, they have to be worse than Temples for like anything outside of like standard, right? Uh, they're not the worst. I've played them in EDH. They're All like, right. okay. It depends on really what you want to do. The, okay. the problem is that they're effectively worse than Shocks in every format where Shocks are illegal. And yeah. if you don't want Shocks, then they don't do anything that other dual lands don't do for you. So the only one that's really playable is the red-green one because uh, Scapeshift just really wanted more sources that were red and green and had dual types. So until we see a reason to really care about dual types, they're not going to see much of a price increase. And even if we get some format that's like, oh, suddenly land types really matter again, shocks are going to be the what people go to in modern. So, um, you know, maybe the foil uh, cinder glades might be the only place that you might make money. Well, the problem with that is that there's also expedition cinder glades. I love cinder glade. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I agree. I think the red-green one, so that's Game Trail, uh, is pretty much the best of the bunch in terms of Shadowlands. Oh, yeah, whatever. No, wait, which one's the Shadow ones? Shadow is when you reveal a basic from your hand. Oh, I completely forgot that cycle even existed. I was talking about the developers <laughs> in a car one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, the Shadow ones are worthless. Burn them. <laughs> I mean, they're not worthless. They're still like pretty reasonable for um, like budget decks. So people like that one's worth, I think, the most because people want to play vampires, even though it's not really a thing. I think Port Town's the most expensive right now because of Blue oh, okay. Flash. Yeah, as I was say before before that deck got popular, I knew the the red black one got, saw zero like competitive play, but. People were like, "Oh man, I could buy like all the rare vampires and stick them in the deck, and there happened to be red and black." So, you get so the on the topic of standard, let's talk standard showdown packs. From what I've been seeing on Twitter, the turnout for this has been basically anemic. It hasn't really done that much different than what shops have been getting. Is it any different for you guys in your local areas? Uh, I haven't gone to an event, so I wouldn't know because I don't really care. Same. Uh, the closest store to me is Cool Stuff, and they usually have pretty good turnout anyway. So I guess the same, yeah. But I haven't been out in a, in a few weeks. You know, I would contrast that, Jeremy. Just, you know, dueling Twitter feeds, I have seen a lot of people talk about playing Standard Showdown. Uh, I don't know if that's translated to any more bodies, but... Yeah, that's what I'm saying is the people who are already in franchising can afford to play FNM and then Standard Showdown the next day, like have the money for both entry fees, blah, 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 blah. They're ecstatic because it's free value for the enfranchised player. But from what we've been seeing, it's basically the same size as our FNM. So like, sure, it's another tournament, but it's not like people are coming in and buying singles. They're just bringing their, their deck to play. And, like, they'll play, like, random brews, like, on purpose just because they don't want to spend money and try to Luxac uh, Expedition. So someone actually won a Ether Vial with their red-green uncommon werewolf deck from the standard showdown. Because Watsy advises us to give away packs based on, like, the coolest deck and, and, of course, the people that plays. But, you know, it was worth it for him. He paid five bucks or whatever the entry fee was, and he got an Ether Vial. So, I don't know. Seems it, pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, and there's obviously, like, more of these high-end mythics. Like, Liliana took a little bit of a dent and then went right back up on TCG because of the sale. But you're getting, like, a little bit more of all the mythics coming in. That's a very good point, Jeremy. Everyone should buy $5 uh, Expedition Aether Vials. That is a good choice. Thanks for that tip, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. If, the best. if you could just scry all the packs that you can open and then just go from there. So, right. you know, it's it's something. Um, right, I'm back to paying attention. I just bought a computer. Sorry. 
hey, Black Friday sale or Cyber Monday sale. Yeah, I saw that. What is the point of that? What do you mean? Like, why, why that laptop? Because uh, it's like a $900 laptop and it's on a lightning deal on Amazon. So it was like six and change. And then if you have a Discover card, you get, I think it's like five or 10% cash back. Yeah, but so it ends up being like sub $600 for a $1,000 almost laptop. But what do you need a gaming laptop for? For all the video games that I want to play on it. What about just buying a desktop? See, I don't have any monitors either, and I sometimes take it with me to like my parents' house, and I would like to continue having a laptop. Uh, here's PC gaming finance chat. Don't buy gaming laptops. Yeah, I would agree. I bought an I bought a tr- a maxed out Alienware in 2012, and it was over three grand, and it was probably the worst investment I've ever made. I mean, yeah, gaming laptops are. <laughs> anyway, moving on. GP Chiba happened this weekend. Legacy isn't dead. Now they charged $100 for the entry fee. But there was unlimited drinks, unlimited food. A bunch of students got in for free. So do you think that U.S. tournament organizers are going to look at this and say, we can replicate this? Or do you think Past Slimes is just going to say, ah, more money for free from the players and we're not going to change anything? They should change it. I mean, I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, considering we're down to what, like what two GPs a year, if that, you wanna you wanna kind of maximize the amount of turnout that you possibly can. I don't know. I, I feel like it would be a good idea to mimic what they were doing over there. I didn't even know that you got free food and free drink and all that. So, well, when you're spending a hundred bucks, I mean, you to play Legacy. I mean, you probably should entice people even further to play it. I feel like I read that it was like like water and like little snacks, not like a meal. Oh, it was like green tea, water, chips, like Pocky or whatever those sticks are. I can't, I don't know. I'm not like well-versed in Japanese snacks. But yeah, it was definitely a conscious effort. And over 500 students played for free. That was subsidized by the rest of the field. And they had like tatami mats, which are like Japanese relaxation mats. And for Legacy, these people are already spending money anyway. Like, I hope U.S. Uh, vendors move towards this more where, like, you get a water bottle. Like, the VIP experience, but for everyone. Well, that sounds like you're pushing more closer to a magic convention rather than a magic tournament, which is not necessarily a bad idea. It's just kind of a shift. I mean, you were at Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we talk there, we open Japanese Eternal Mastery packs for like no value, but um, that's what I want more. Like that draws more people. I haven't played a main event in forever. I just go for sides and selling. Yeah, Mike Lineman's been barking up that tree for a while now. Yeah, well, Cascades actually listens to player feedback, so I wouldn't be surprised if they did something. Like they're one of the tos that actually tries to to improve every time. I mean, I think at some point in time they have to take the onus off of the main event, like. Most people there would get more mileage and more value out of just playing side events rather than playing the main event. But I feel like too many people are pressured just like they think that they have to go for the main event. Like if there's a GP, you have to play in it. But the realistic, like realistically, you're not more likely, like you're not going to gain a lot by doing that. Like you can play a bunch of side events that are still competitive magic against people and just not have to waste your entire day playing, you know, nine rounds going six and three and like feeling really accomplished because you get to play the next day. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think that GPs kind of suck now and I don't even really want to go to them. Like they're too long. There's too many people and the payouts for them is like, just doesn't match the amount of attendance that they get. And and the entry fee is also really expensive. Like I'm tired of paying for play mats. I'm tired of paying for like other rando things like sleeves and deck boxes. I just, I just want to play magic. I don't want all this extra shit. I have like, I probably have more rubber in play mats than I have on my tires right now. It's just like really annoying. If I never see another play mat in my life, I will be happy. And I have don't even have that many relative to how many some people end up with. I've got like 20 maybe. I mean, it's not even that many. 20 is like the probably the only like the amount that I've gotten from events like in the last year. Like it, it it's just, everyone gives you a play mat. I don't want them anymore. Like make them part of like a higher level 
of of experience. Like Star City stopped giving them away to everyone. You actually have to register early to get their playmats now, which is kind of okay, I guess. I don't know. Like I'm not gonna if I'm paying the same amount of money, then I might as well register early. But I don't want to pay sixty dollars so that I get a playmat. Like I'd rather pay thirty or forty and just get nothing. I just show up. See, as someone who hasn't, like, made the Pro Tour and, like, done well at GPs, I'd rather have the playmat because, like, worst case, it reminds me of the experience and it's, like, a consolation prize. Right. That's fine. Just make it optional. Don't make everyone have to pay for it. That's the problem. That's the thing I don't like about it. Yeah, I respect that. And I definitely respected that when I was a new player. The problem is, is that that wears off. You get about maybe a year of that, and then the only ones you care about are like the giant modern masters events. And after that, it's like definitely don't need a playmat for the fourth GP Providence I've been to. What um I remember CFB, I'm pretty sure they still do this, but don't they have like tiers in like how much you want to pay? Like what I'm I'm getting what Jim's saying. Like have the lowest tier be like the basic thing, and you get nothing. Like if you want to spring for the the playmat and the lanyard or whatever the hell they give you now, um, go for it. But if you just want to just show up, play Magic, then here's like the bare bones basic price. GP Oklahoma City, which was Legion's events last GP where I crashed on Corbin's couch, did that. Like they were basically like, here's the entry, or you can get a water bottle, or you can get a water bottle and a lunchbox, and we're giving away all this stuff because Watsy screwed us out of TOing next year. But, like, that was one of the last TOs, GPs that I went to, where I felt like the TO actually cared about what players thought. Honestly, I think it would be better if they just did the playmats like they do at the Pro Tour, where you just go and buy them. Like, they don't give you anything when you go to the Pro Tour. They give you, like... Well, they give you some stuff. But that's not true. They give you some stuff, but... They don't give you a playmat. They don't give everyone a playmat. They don't give everyone, like, the things that you actually get at GP is just weird. Like, they give you some sleeves, but those are crappy Ultra Pro ones. They just want you to use those on camera. And then they give you, like, a bag to put stuff in. And it's like, I'd rather just not have to pay for anything that is, like, not necessary for playing Magic. Like, I don't want to buy sleeves from you. That's basically what it's doing. They're forcing me to buy sleeves from you, buy a playmat from you, and I just don't want any of that crap. Like, Pretty much at this point, for like the last, I don't know, six months, whenever I've gotten a playmat at an event, literally, I unroll the playmat at the event, take a picture of it, say hey, on Twitter, anyone want this? Because I don't want it. And then I sell it before I get home. Or it just goes in a pile. That's smart. The real kicker, the real kicker is that he's right. They're forcing you to buy playmat sleeves, duck box, whatever, from them. But as the, as the consumer, if you are buying all of that stuff from one source, you should be getting a really good deal. And instead, you're buying all that stuff from one source and getting a terrible deal. Like, you're overpaying for all of it. It's just silly. Yep. Okay, I think we can move on a little bit. Um, So lately, competitive staples have really bottomed out. Modern's back to 2012 prices, which is great if you're trying to get in, especially with all the Cyber Monday deals. Casual cards are booming. Almost like there's not many casual cards that are dropping. Um, even Chromatic Lantern just rebounded back to six bucks for the Commander version. You know, there's a lot of stuff that, as soon as it came out, it just got eaten up by the existing player base. Are there any cards that you guys are looking at in particular that are mainly casual focus that you think might make you some money in the future? Yeah, Tarkin and I. Uh, on QS Cast, we're actually talking about this. That, um, and this goes back to what DJ was saying. That it seems that outside of like the, you know, initial hype of like tournament cards for standard, then you have modern where it's like everything gets reprinted. So it's like you try to catch things on a on a downswing, see if they rebound. You have your random spikes, were pretty much always going to happen. You look at scrying sheets. Um, Casual cards definitely seem like they're they're on their way back. Like they are definitely booming. Maybe it's because it's a it, it feels like it's a heightened sense of of uh, casual buying because this always seems tends to happen whenever the commander products drop. Um, I don't know about you. I mean, you run the store, uh, Zemet. Do you? These felt like they were a lot better 
like they, they just keep getting better year in and year out, these commander products. And like I feel like it's just the hype of these commander products that people are going out and buying this stuff. I mean, you look at uh just recently, like Arkham Daxon. Um, you look at a similar card even in Arkham Daxon, you look like Master Transmuter, which is almost basically the same thing. Combs up combos with Brea, you return Brea to your to your hand in the same clause, you can replay Brea. So it just seems like everyone's like heightened to go and build around these commanders and a lot of ripple effects are happening right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I am not in the place to speak about how I felt these commander decks were. I think that they had an okay amount of reprints, but when it comes to finance stuff, I want like mind disease all over again. No, I mean, did these sell... Oh, we were sold out within an hour of opening our doors for the first run, and our second run sold in the day. Now, the reason why is because we cater towards casuals. We actually don't cater towards competitive players as much. We actually get double the turnout for EDH between 30 and 40 people on our busiest Tuesdays uh, compared to, like, 20 for draft and, like, 15 for FNM. So we we straight up just cater to them. Like, I go through about 200 soul rings a month right now. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I think that commander products are definitely the kinds of things that will push a lot of casual demand because when you get new legendary creatures in standard, they're like not always very good in commander. And that's a problem because then people just don't care when those sets come out. Like, I don't really even think there are any legendary creatures in Kaladesh that are like particularly good commanders. Like there's none that are weird colors. There are like not any that don't rely on cards that are not in Kaladesh. Like there are some weird ones like Depala is probably an interesting commander, but you're just going to buy all the cards that are already in the set Kaladesh because there's not that many dwarves and not that many vehicles outside of that. Um, but when you get the commander sets, you get like these really weird new commanders that just want to do commander things and they don't really care about being balanced in any other format. So like you get, you know, keyword soup with Atraxa and then everyone's like, oh, proliferates just like a really sweet thing that you could do a shit ton of things with, but that would just never make it into a, like a regular set. Like that card just doesn't make any sense in any plane with those abilities. Like, that that card just doesn't make any sense in a lot of magic, and it's probably just like too good as a four mana four four flying lifelink death touch vigilance. Like that's already too many keywords just like on that card itself. Um, so you get like a lot of those things, and a lot of the times people are a little bit slow to catch up on like what's actually good. So I think that's why like doubling season didn't start going up before the set came out, but that's when I bought mine because I realized what was going to happen, and I was like. I'm going to need a doubling season, so I'm going to buy one. And I thought to myself, I was like, self, maybe I should buy more than one doubling season because I feel like they can go up in price because I'm probably not going to be the only one that has this idea. Of course, I didn't do that, but commander cards are the, the commander sets are the kinds of sets that will get more people interested. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of words. Yes, the, especially the four-color commanders because it gives you commander options that did not exist before, um, which is kind of unexplored territory for commander product. Um, what will be interesting to see is how this evolves over the coming months because we are just now opening the door to four-color commanders, which people have been waiting for for a long time. Um, and the partner mechanic gives us a lot of variability. It's just not five four color commanders. It's it's all these combinations. So I think there's a lot of cool, a lot, a lot of it's a very fertile ground right now out there in uh, in casual commander land. Um, you know, doubling season is sort of the start of it, but I don't think that's the end of it. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about before we move into pick of the week? No, but I think there might be some like commander cards that just like haven't people haven't really gotten to yet. Like, has uh, Contagion Engine moved at all? Yes, I think the foils have been moving fairly rapidly as well. I'm not sure if that was a softball, but I tweeted out that they're up by 30 percent in under in a month. Like, since the tracks that came out, everyone's like, "Oh, this should not be a three dollar card." 
Oh, yeah. Well, on the. <laughs> Mine was probably going to be if you got uh, you know for the pick of the week segment, but yeah, I mean you just have to look like it. It feels like the train is moving between each of the commanders. Like it, we started out with a Traxa. We've seen just recently like Teferi, the commander version. Uh, what is that? Temporal Archmage, right? You know, so it, as each one, you know, as people sit down and, and build these decks for each of these commanders, you kind of see the subsequent cards around that commander uh, increase. So, like I said, you see, like, Teferi, then you move on to Brea. You see, like, the Arkham Dax and, like, Crackland Ironworks has also increased uh, pretty considerably um, on uh, stocks percentage-wise. You know, Master Transmuters, stuff like that. Then you move on to, I don't know if people have been brewing with Yidris. I haven't seen really too many Yidris-related ones. I guess it's just like anything at that point. Maybe like Commandeer. I've seen that card increase a little bit. You can talk more about that, Jim. I don't, I don't know if that's like mostly just related or it's just a good Commander card. But it kind of just feels like that's where the train is moving. And Travis also pointed it out too. Like, not only do you have the four-color Commanders, you have so all these, you have these sub- four-color commanders and the partner ability, and people are also kind of brewing with that as well. So definitely something to watch out for. I mean, I, I've I've talked to some people. There's definitely some potent partner commanders. Like I've heard Kaidel and like Vile Smasher is, is uh, one that people are pretty excited for, you know, and goes on from there. All right, let's move into pick of the week. Anyone want to start off? Oh, pick me, pick me. All right, Jim, that was easy. Yeah, so um, I'm thinking about next set. And in Aether Revolt, we're going to have, like, I'm pretty pretty confident we're going to have more energy cards and probably more vehicles. That's pretty much a given. Um, the card that I am most interested in, in picking up right now is Aetherworks Marvel. Uh, it is a mythic from Kaladesh. It was, you know, eight to ten dollars when it came out. It did pretty reasonably, I'd say, at the Pro Tour. Like a lot of people played it, um, and then it kind of like disappeared for a while because counter spells are really good against it and um, a little inconsistent. So the the problem with the deck is it had either a hard time finding Aetherworks Marvel or, or a harder time like getting the requisite energy with cards that didn't suck. I have to imagine that there's going to be something for it in the next set that I'll either tip it a little bit over in one way or another. And even now we've seen it like come back like last, I think it was last weekend with the green black, the green black delirium slash Aetherworks Marvel deck. Um, if this deck gets really, really good, which it could, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy for them to see, you know, go back to eight to $10 over a weekend. You could just out your the copies then. Uh, am I supposed to go now? I, I mean, if you want to. Is that an And Travis's internet connection cut out. Classic he Travis. You might have like hit the hangout button instead of the mute button. Yeah. That would be more funny. Uh, Chaz, do you have a pick of the week? Hmm. I don't know if it's something that you'll end up profit like you know turn around and make a ton of profit on like in terms of dollar signs but i think a good preventative measure is you look at you just look at teferi which has creeped up from like 10 to 20 so a double up i think freya lease is going in the same direction i think actually a lot more people like playing freya lease over um teferi i mean more people play green green's like really good which is great for EDH. But uh, I think Freyolis can definitely match to Ferry uh, in terms of price. That one's been surprisingly good for me. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go with uh, the drum that I've been beating for a while, Foil Aldrazi Displacer. is still in like the 10 to 12 range, but the price is coming up just a little bit, but supply is thinning out pretty um, pretty good now, so I don't think we are more than a couple weeks away from this being over $20. Seems like a good idea. 
Well, if you listen this far in, my pick is obviously Gatecrash Booster Boxes. But if it isn't also Memory Jar from the Vault version, and it's not a Bujafar, there's a lot of stuff that's been moving well lately. We've seen a lot of Planeswalkers start to go up, and that's something that I definitely keep an eye on because of the fact that we sell Planeswalkers. Like, no, like that's our entire shelf is Planeswalkers. It's every Planeswalker ever. Uh, Koth was, was like a good hold because uh, it basically doubled for free off like a deck that's garbage in a garbage format. Venser's like gone up three or four bucks in the last year or two. Tybalt's even seen some gain. You know, it's not great. Same with Tamio. So if you start looking at these older Planeswalkers, there's two that stick out to me that seem very powerful, or three technically, that seem very powerful that I would just keep an eye on. First is the Flip Garrick from Innistrad. It's always been around five or six bucks. It's getting to the point where, where if they don't reprint this in Modern Masters 2017, it's something I would keep an eye on. Second one is Garrick Apex Predator. One of the most powerful. I love planes, that one. Yeah, one of the most powerful planeswalkers ever printed. You know, Ugin's cool and all that, but this guy just kills everything. So it's something to keep an eye on just in case, um, you know, something happens. Like, he has an impressive emblem as well that Timmy's like. So I just wanna I just wanna segue off of that real or Aww. I guess stay in the same vein. What? Nope, go ahead. I love the Apex Predator Predator choice, by the way. I think Thanks. that's a good one. Yeah, I, I also kind of in that same vein, like I think that attracts the players will very quickly realize that the best planeswalkers in their deck or the best planeswalker for their deck is probably Jace Architect of Thought. And that card's like $2, right? Like, it has to go up at some point in time. It's actually four bucks. Like pretty... He is $4. Is he $4, really? Yes, he has been $4 for a year because we keep selling out of them at $4. Like, no joke. Card's 4 bucks, even with the dual deck printing. Jeez, like, even that whole, that whole dual deck, like, Rask is also pretty reasonable as a as a Planeswalker in the the four-color Planeswalker-y decks that people like to build, or at least I like to build. Yep. Can I go with my last pick, or do you want to you wanna misprice another card? Um, I mean, if you could pick up Ugin's for 150 cents, I think there'd be a good pick, too. <laughs> oh, jeez, I didn't realize that one was bulk, good. Bulk Ugin. <laughs> another, another, uh, another strong Jeremy pick there. Yeah, bulk Ugin. Yeah, ripping kids off. That's how people make money, right? Don't oh do don't God. do this, kids. <laughs> uh, I, you know what really pisses me off about Ugin? I was for sure, I was like 100% sure he was going to be in a dual deck. And then they're just like, nah, I read. let's pick some rando people nobody cares about. Yep. Um, well, they didn't uh, give him the alternate art printing. If the, you were 100% sure that Ugin was going to be in a dual deck, you weren't paying attention to Wizards for the last several years and weren't paying attention to dual decks in particular. Yeah, you weren't paying attention. No, 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 no. Clearly, clearly I wasn't paying attention. Also, you're full of shit because you can get Jace Architect of Thought for $2. Once it's mid. It's mid? I don't. That's, That's what I'm going off of. It should be about 4 bucks. No, you could buy them on TCG Player for two fifty. What is its mid? I don't care about what its low is. We're talking. He's looking at. He's looking at the zero percentage feedback. One one yeah. copy listing. I don't give a shit about some some <laughs> neckbeard in his basement that's going to sell this for like a dollar and change after fees. I don't like. I I, 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 I care about what anymore. what you. The price what? guy. Click. What do you? Is it market price? Is that what you're asking for? What's yeah. A mid? Yeah. Just go off mid. It's the if you click the card, it's the bottom right part on TCG. It should be like right. 380. The bottom right. The listed median? Yeah. 250. Wait, really? Wait, are we talking the dual deck printing or the return of Ravnica printing? The dual deck is 250. Oh, I was going return of Ravnica. We don't sell foils. The return of Ravnica one is 284. Mid? Yeah. Oh, Rough. well, I apparently have overpriced this <laughs> Walker, and we are still sold out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, Rip off children, guys. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I thought I looked at it pretty recently, and they weren't that expensive. So now you can buy them at 250 like I said to you. Oh, my goodness. Four. 
Anyways, Jeremy will be ripping people off. So if you're a customer at Jeremy's store, yeah, you walk out for a Jays. <laughs> I recommend going back in and talking. Man, they're going to ask for their $20 back for Tibbles. Oh, rough. Anyway, Ugh. the last card that I really like that has an, an extreme uh, casual demand that I don't think this card will slow down anytime soon, Soren uh, from Dark Ascension. Even with the dual deck printing, this card's Board everywhere. It's all over yeah. casual. Yeah, like this card's everywhere. It's another black-white Planeswalker. It makes an emblem. Like, just watch out for this one, guys. So... That's about it. Any last words where people can find you guys before I run to my shop and delete this cast so none of my customers that listen can own me in the streets? Yeah, without a without a reprinting, it definitely feels like Ugin, uh, those those higher-end Planeswalkers, even just without a tracks, I think they were already kind of trending upward. I mean, I look at you look at results from at least just the, the dual commander stuff. I mean... Ugin is almost in every single deck you could possibly play. Like, and the same with Garuk, uh, Apex Predators, and any deck with black and green in it. So, those are definitely ones to watch. I like the Soren pick. I also, I have to ask Jim because you play, or any of you, you play a lot more EDH than I do. What's up with Commandeer? Is that just like a good card? It's from like Cold Snap. It's probably like near non-existent. Commandeer is like fine. It's not good. I see it increasing a lot. Is there a specific reason for and for many of the new cards? Because I can't um, peg it on anything. Yidris, because you can cast it for no mana, but it's got a huge converted mana cost for the oh, cascade effect. Right. That, yep. yeah, it's it it's cards good. that you cast for less mana than they cost are just good. Like you wouldn't see it in like a delve spell, which is also good in that deck. Yep. All right, guys. Where can right. people go ahead and find you? Uh, for me, at ChazVMTG on Twitter, and I write for QS every week, do the QS cast, MTG Goldfish cast, So, but Twitter is the best way to find me. Uh, my name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Um, you can find me on Modern Nexus every week and uh, Gathering Magic every other week, usually. And uh, I'm Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, on Twitter. I write every Monday on MTG Price, and I also do the MTG Fast Finance podcast. And I'm Zemet Sells Magic. You can find me barricading my shop so that the angry casuals don't maul me to death. Um, thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats Cast number 33. Chaz, we really appreciate you coming on. And as always, we have final words of wisdom. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the New York Rangers just signed a $5 million T deal for hockey. I don't know if Jim heard about this. Anyway, they signed what? What is this? What are you even talking about? The New York Rangers just signed a $5 million deal with a T company. The name of that T? Penalty. Thanks for watching Cartel Aristocrats cast number 33, and we'll see you guys next week.